0: You know, it's how the story ends that matters most. Kind of like Colonel Sanders. I don't know, you know much about Colonel Sanders and his story? It all started when he was 65 and he got his first Social Security check. Maybe some of you identify. His Social Security check was $105. And he was so ticked off. And so he figured he'd do something about it. So he took his chicken recipe and he started going restaurant to restaurant to restaurant thinking, you know, someone's going to buy this. Someone's going to like it and then he'll just get proceeds from the whole thing and that's how he'll support his, uh, his, supplement his income for down the road. So that's what he did. And guess what? It took a thousand and nine restaurants before finally someone said yes and signed him up. And not only him, here's a few other late comers to the whole thing. Walt Disney, the man who gave us Disney World Mickey Mouse, his first animation company went bankrupt. He was fired by a news editor, get this one, because he lacked imagination. And then he was turned down 302 times before he finally got financing for creating Disney World. Isn't that something? Albert Einstein did not speak until he was four. He didn't read until he was seven. His parents and teachers thought he was mentally handicapped. Theodore Seuss Giesel. Now, you know who he is, Dr. Dr. Seuss gave us Cat and Hat, Green Eggs and Ham, books every child reads. At first, many didn't think he would succeed. He was rejected by the first 27 publishers that he pitched his books to. John Grisham, American author, first was a lawyer who loved to write. His first book was rejected 28 times, till finally he got a sympathetic publisher that said, I will publish 5,000 of these books of yours. Now he's sold over 250 million copies of his books. And then last, there's this little rock group, I don't know if you've ever heard of them, The Beatles. They were rejected by many record labels, and the most famous rejection ever, the label said, guitar groups are on the way out and then in the very end of their letter of rejection they said the beatles have no future in show business isn't that something well nothing like eating your words huh hey turn to joshua in chapter 2 i want to give you a comeback story that's just going to it's just going to reiterate the whole reality really the end of the story what connects with us at the very end matters so much. You know, we can go through a lot of stuff in the beginning of the story, but it's how it resolves, how it all comes together at the end that really connects with us, that makes the biggest impact. Now, Joshua is the fifth book of the Bible, if you're looking for it. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, chapter 2 is where we're going to be in today is he kind of someone with a a whole different sort of failure that they needed to work through and her name is Rahab and she proves to us that how the story ends really matters most the literal hebrew definition for her occupation is one who keeps an inn But don't let that fool you one bit, because the reality is, in the Hebrew, it translates her occupation in the truest sense, and it is, she's a harlot. And in the New Testament, whenever it talks about her, it gives us a truer sense of what she is in our vernacular, because it calls her literally a prostitute. And so exposed to the whole society where she was at, we knew everything about her. Everyone around her knew everything about her. She was broken. here's the reality. All of us are broken one way or another. We all have something, somehow, some way that's broken. All of us do. But some people's brokenness is on display for everyone to see. And that was the case with Rahab. Hers was a public brokenness. Everyone knew what was up with Rahab. And in fact, I feel so bad whenever I read her account. Because when you go through and read every place the Bible talks about Rahab, it always says, except for one place in the entire Bible it always says Rahab the prostitute or Rahab the harlot. And in fact, there's even one place, and I feel horrible, a little bit later on in Joshua 6, where it doesn't even mention her name. But later on, when, when Joshua comes back and they go to save her, and I, as spoiler alert, they go and rescue her and her family from Jericho, Joshua says, they don't even mention her name. They said, now go to the prostitute's house and get her and her family out. They don't even call her name. They just call her by her reputation. So everywhere in the Bible, that's how she's referred to. She was a pagan, idol-worshiping Gentile that sold her body to make a living. And Rahab's place was on the wall of the city, most likely near the gate, She had full access to those within the city and then also to those who were passing by. Her home had this proverbial revolving door for traveling and local men going in and out and that's what she did. And here's the deal. Everyone knew. Everyone knew what was up with Rahab. There was no secret. And so if you've ever thought God could never use me. Look at what I've done. If you've ever thought that. If you've ever thought, it's hopeless. Everyone knows my reputation. You've ever thought that? If you've ever thought, I'm too far in, I can never get out. Or if you've ever thought, really, what difference can I make? If you've ever thought those things, today is for you, man. Today is a difference maker for you. Because I'm here to share that God hits bullseyes with broken arrows every time. He nails them. So you, are you there in Joshua chapter 2? I just want to read through you um, The first 11 verses of the narrative, it's an interesting narrative. It's just going to set this thing up a little bit to let you know what's going on. Here's here's how it starts out. Basically, the Israelites, they were going to go in and they were going to take over Jericho. So check this out. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went, they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. Now the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went, so go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan, and as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land, and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melding in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water on the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. And when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now, you know what? I wanted to go to verse 13. I'm going to read the next two verses. No extra charge for this, by the way. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. That's going to come up a little bit later on. Folks, here we go. God hits bullseyes with broken arrows every time. Now, I'm going to show you, he took Rahab from Rahab the harlot, and he changed her whole reputation, and it's awesome. Do you have your study guide there in the back of your East Bay Weekly? Let's work through this thing together. You're going to see a progression of a number of identity adjustments that he made for her life. So she went from Rahab the harlot to, here's number one, to Rahab the hero. Now this is so cool because Here, number one, in this day and age, women had a lower value. They were esteemed in a lower way, and especially in pagan culture. And then not only were they esteemed in a lower way, typically there would be a woman, there would be a beggar, and then there would be, even lower, a prostitute. This would be someone on the lowest scale, someone who would have no morality, no conscience at all, who would sell their body to anyone who came along. And so here she went from that kind of a position, Rahab the harlot, to Rahab the hero of the story. And it all would have fallen apart without her special role. She goes from being on top of men's call lists, Her worth to society would have been very low. And if her attempts to shield the spies was revealed, she would have been immediately put to death. But she shields the spies. She saves Israel's plan to conquer Jericho. And here's the cool thing. Only God can make a harlot the hero of the story. Rahab the hero. Here's number two. She goes from Rahab the harlot to Rahab the rescuer. Now this one blew my mind a little bit. We see the negotiation that went along here in verses 12 and 13 because not only was she saying, I want to be saved, but then she thinks, you know what, I got my family. I got my mom, my dad, my sisters, my brothers. I have all of their family. I have my family here in Jericho, and I'm concerned for them. And so she negotiates with the spies and says, what can we do to work this out? That way they will be saved. Now, I'm, I'm telling you, I wish, there's all truth in the scripture, but I kind of wish that there would be an extra chapter or two written in there. Wouldn't you love to hear the chapter of when Rahab, the prostitute, talked with her family to tell them, because um, what did they think of her? What did they think of her? And then she says, "Uh, yeah, I want you to know that I believe in Yahweh now. And I think they're going to come and destroy Jericho. So I want you all to come and stay in my house. And if you stay in my house, then you'll be safe. But if you don't stay in my house, then you won't be safe. I mean, how did all that work out? It would be fascinating to have heard how that all went down. But she negotiated with the spies. She talked with her parents, and she cared, and she cared about her family, and she pulled them in. And here's the bottom line. This just blows me away. Just think about it. What was once the selling place for sex was now the saving place for sinners. Does that just torch your mind or what? The place was filled, and I don't know how big her home was. She probably didn't have much of a home. But she went out to get family. They believed in God too. They came in. She was Rahab the rescuer. Here's number three. She was Rahab the restored. She was Rahab the restored. And basically, if you just jump over a couple chapters in chapter 6, verse 25. And so the whole thing goes along. Joshua, the spies go out. Joshua and his army do come back. God gives them a tremendous victory over Jericho. The walls come down. They do rescue Rahab. They do rescue the family. And this is such a neat thing because Have you ever done something stupid and you just thought, man, if I could just maybe go in a witness protection program somewhere where no one knows who I am? Maybe start up a whole new identity. Wouldn't that be a neat thing? Well, guess what happened for Rahab? She ends up relocating to Israel. And in verse 25, this is such a neat thing because Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies of Jericho. And here's the big phrase I just want to show you. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. She moved to Israel, all her and her family. She blended in with the culture and with the people. Spoiler alert. She gets married and has a family. And she was able to abandon the emptiness of repeated, meaningless sex with nameless men to have a meaningful life with a whole new purpose and identity. Everything changed. And imagine for her when she would walk down the streets of Jericho and people saw her and they knew what she did. She knew that her reputation was public, and there was shame and embarrassment. And what God did for her, he took her, he transplanted her to Israel. She was able to have a new identity, a new reputation. She was married. She had children, and God completely restored this woman and her reputation in a brand, brand new way. She was Rahab the restored. And then here's number four. You've got to see it. Take a moment and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first book of the New Testament. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter one. And here's the fourth thing about Rahab, how God changed it all. She went From Rahab the harlot to Rahab the hero, Rahab the rescuer, Rahab the restored. And then number four, she went to Rahab the royalty. Rahab the royalty. Now I already told you, she got married. And her husband is in Matthew chapter 1 verse 5. His name is Salmon. And here it mentions, Matthew 1, verse 5, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now this is the only mentioning of her that I found where it doesn't say the prostitute. Whose mother was Rahab. And their son was Boaz. Now Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. So here we go, Rahab was Ruth's mother-in-law. And we're going to be learning about Ruth in a little bit. In fact, this summer we're going to do a study through the book of Ruth together. But even better than all of this, if you follow it down a little bit farther... Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, verse 6, and Jesse, the father of King David, Rahab is the great-grandmother of King David. Can you believe that? Rahab, the royalty. So here this woman, who was previously prostitute, in Jericho, it's great-grandmother to King David. Now, give her a million guesses of how her life would have turned out. I don't think she would ever figure this one out, huh, folks? But that's not the whole story. Because this isn't the genealogy of King David. Do you know who this genealogy is of? Would you follow this down to verse 16, my friend, in Matthew 1? And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of, who's that lady mentioned there? Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Can I just say, if this doesn't bust your brain, I don't know what will. The prostitute Rahab and the Virgin Mary. The prostitute Rahab and the Virgin Mary are both in the genealogy of the Messiah. Does that just bust your brain or what? To think that Jesus in his earthly body, had a little trickle of Rahab's blood flowing through his veins, is a testimony, folks, that God hits bullseyes with broken arrows. Amen? Amen. So if you sit here today with a broken past, whether it's public or whether it's private, if you feel hopeless thinking you're stuck in the revolving door of your life, I just want you to think again. It can all change. It doesn't have to stay this way. With God, your past doesn't have to determine your future. He doesn't need you to be perfect to make something perfect out of you. And you can think, but everyone knows what I've done People know me. Well, you know what? Just because others stay in your past doesn't mean you have to as well. God does hit bullseyes with broken arrows. And so I just want to think about something for a moment. What made the difference? What made the turnaround? What made this comeback for Rahab? And I want to give you two things. And then, folks, I want to hit you this morning with a comeback story from someone in this church that's going to touch your heart, a very brave woman that's going to step forward and tell you about her own life. What made the difference for Rahab? What helped make the comeback? Two things. Here they are. And we're back in Joshua in chapter 2 right now. There's two things that made the difference for her. Number one is God's authentic work through believers. So here's where, this, here's where this comes in, Joshua chapter 2. What turned her around? Verse 8. You just wonder, here spies show up at her house and she says, you know what, I believe. Let's do this thing. I'll hide you, I'll protect you, just save us. Why in the world did she believe so quickly? Well, here's the whole deal. Verse 8. She goes up to them and, and she, she hid them on the roof. Verse 9, she says, I know that the Lord has given you this land. A great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. And here's the big deal. Verse 10, We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt. We heard what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear. Everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God, big theology, the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. God's authentic work through believers. Gang, here's what it is. She said, we heard what God did through you. His work affected us. God was really at work in you. There's sincere faith. You're authentic. There's something genuine going on in you. Your God seems real. Your God is at work. Now understand, Jericho had God's. Theirs weren't doing anything. And they looked at Israel's God, and they saw things were happening. Now let's just put this out there. Here's what really makes a difference in our society today. Folks, it's going to be your story and my story of God. Doing genuine life change that turns the head of people in our society. You know, um, I would love to think that a potluck dinner, now, potluck dinner gets my attention, folks. Pie and praise, I'm there. But you know what? That doesn't really turn the head of our society. The neat program, and and they're nice to have. You know what really carries a powerful punch is a changed life when people see God doing real things through us. That's what captures the attention of a world that's hurting, that needs to see something that's real. And Rahab lived this empty life. She saw all the religion of Jericho, and then all of a sudden, they're hearing this stuff about Israel, and she says, there is something real going on. And I want it. I want it. I know your God is real, she says. I know it. You are going to come in here. You are going to win and take over Jericho. And so I'm just asking you, help me get on board. Help me get my family on board. That's all I ask. The big punch comes with authentic accounts of what God has done In and through you. And conversely, if the potluck is awesome and the pie and praise is fantastic, but our lives are inauthentic or plastic, or if even there is a tinge of hypocrisy, folks, they will stay on the wall of Jericho And in the revolving door of their life, if they believe it is phony baloney, if they believe we are going through the motions, and if it is fake, they will stay on the wall of Jericho. And what turned it around for Rahab was God's authentic work through believers. And genuinely live faith is an attractive trait in our world. Hypocrisy, however, is repulsive. I remember reading a story about an individual who was in World War II. He was in Paris. He went to a bread shop one day and he saw a little orphan boy that was standing outside of the bread shop. He seemed hungry and needy and he just thought, I need to do something about this. He went inside and he... He went ahead and bought a whole bunch of supplies and breads and things like that and he put them in a bag and he went out and he knelt down alongside the boy and he told him he cared and he said, I want you to have this bread. And as he told the story, he said, the boy turned and looked at him and the boy said, Mr., Are you Jesus? Now, if there's someone I'm going to be confused for in our world, I would like it to be him. But authentic faith, genuine life change, sincerity, openness, not going through the motions, those are the things that captures the attention of a world that is in desperate need of Jesus. And here's the second thing. Well, you know there's a couple verses. I, you need to see these verses. They just back up this whole theme. 1 Peter 2.12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Matthew 5.16, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. God's authentic work through believers, it's what made the difference for Rahab what makes a difference today <clears throat> here's the second thing that made a difference for Rahab it was the first step of faith the first step of faith Hebrews eleven 31 I'm not going to go there this morning what that is it's the hall of faith in the Bible there's a listing of a whole bunch of people of faith there's two women mentioned in it there's Sarah the mother of Abraham there is Rahab, the prostitute. And the Bible mentions she was a woman of faith. She took a step of faith. And uh, a great MLK Jr. quote Take the first step in faith, he said. You don't have to see the whole staircase. Just take the first step. And the safest thing for Rahab, really, the safest thing when the king's men showed up, the safest thing would have been to say, You know, they're upstairs. Just don't don't do anything to me. They're upstairs. Take them. And maybe she would have had some temporary reward. Maybe the king would have given her something just for a little while that would have gotten her by. And and she she would have not suffered any harm. It would have been safe for the moment. But she would have been in that revolving door still. She would have been on the wall still. Her life would have been the same still. And she didn't know the two spies. They hadn't met before that day. She didn't even understand everything about God. But she saw authentic faith and unexplainable things that she had not seen. And she knew what it meant to stay in her world. And she knew what it would be just to keep going with all of that. And she wanted what they had. She wanted to win So she took the first step of faith, and although it could be fearful, what would it be? What's it going to be when they come and take over Jericho? What's it going to be when my whole family walks with them? What's it going to be to go to Israel? And I don't know anyone. What's it going to be meeting all new people? What is it going to be? And there's all of these fears. But Rahab took the first step of faith. And God was faithful all of the way through. need to hear a story today of someone from our church who's in a comeback right now. And they've taken a brave, brave step to go bold and public to let us know what God's been doing in their life. Go ahead and meet her. We'll talk about it right after.
1: My name is Rachel Tollebson. Yes, I started out in the nursery helping out. I've always loved children. Um, went through every, everything imaginable. I went through uh, helping out with children's church and went through Cubbies and Sparkies, Iwana, was involved in youth group. So definitely involved in my church. There were things in life that happened that definitely made it hard to live for Christ. I felt I was 12 when things really started to change, 12, 13. And I I found myself weak and just, things changed a lot in my life. And I had that desire to live for God was gone. I had a lot of bitterness, a lot of emptiness, so I took a different turn in my life. I was moving moving away from God. I, my desire to live for Him was gone, and just definitely took a wrong path in my life, the the path of destruction. Christian friends from church. I did not want to go. I did not find the desire to read my Bible anymore to pray. At the age of 13, I started experimenting with drugs and alcohol, and I pretty much let that run my life. And it took me to a very, a very deep, dark place in my life, and I, I had no desire to live at one point. When I was 16, 17, I just, I didn't see the hope. It wasn't there. That desire for life was just not there and I just, I didn't know I was hopeless. I I felt nobody was there for me, nobody cared. So I did, I ended up in the hospital for a suicide attempt. years and years of poor decision making and falling into into the hands of of men looking for the wrong love and just trying to fill all the voids in my life whatever whatever i could do just just to try to find that and it was empty shallow nothing there i i definitely lived an interesting life. I I was Rahab. It was empty. It was a short-lived, short-term love that I felt at the moment, and it was nothing, nothing more. I was lost. (laughs) I am in my comeback. This, this started three years ago. I found out I was pregnant. Anxious, scared, overwhelmed. I, a little bit hopeless. That's a very scary situation. It's overwhelming. I was a single mom. I, I had to figure out what to do. I decided to give my life completely back to God let go and gave it to him. And he took full control. I prayed, I pleaded with him just to totally change my life around. I wanted to be the most amazing mother I could be for this child that I was going to be bringing into the world. And and he changed my spirit, my life. I, I started digging into my Bible that same day. That desire was back. I have been clean and sober since January 15 of 2016 and that is huge for me it's a major major thing to overcome and I also made a promise to God that when I get married that is when I'm going to give myself to my husband it's very important to me important for my son to see that his mother is a woman of God. Forgiveness is huge. It It has been a very big part of my life. And to think of the things that I did, to think of things that God has always forgiven me for everything because I asked for forgiveness for everything, I took accountability for things that I did. People care. God never, he never turns his back on us. Regardless of what we've done, he forgives us and opens his arms, takes us back. There's hope out there.
0: lot of courage, a lot of courage to do that. It's a lot easier to stay silent, you know, and um, maybe God's calling you to take a step of faith today. And wherever you're at with whatever you've been experiencing and whatever brokenness that you feel, and we all have it, what step of faith do you need to take today? And it would be easier, maybe safer in your mind. You may think it may not be good to be in what I'm in, but at least... I know what it is. I'll take this over loneliness. I'll take this over the questions of if I'll make it financially. I'll take this over the wondering about my future. But I would encourage you, would you let go of that And allow God to shoot your arrow and aim your arrow. Because I guarantee you, he can hit that target a whole lot better than you can and I can. Take the step of faith. Just like Rahab. And church, in our desperate world, in a world that needs answers, in a world that is craving. something that's that's real, this is is where they need to find it. We are the people they need to find it from. And let's not give them any substitutes for authentic faith, for genuine faith. Let's give them the real thing. It's not merely a program. It's not merely an opportunity to attend something. It's People, It's us. It's stories. It's changed lives. It's us being open and vulnerable about who we've been and what we've experienced and saying, here's what God has taken us through, and you know what? He can do it for you, too. It's what they need desperately. It's what Rahab needed, and we can give it to him. Would you pray with me Father may this be the place may we be the people that you use that you work through to bring that bring broken to you because you brought us broken And I just pray that you'll use us in the same way to bring others. God, we thank you for the story and the account of Rahab and the great way that you've used her. And the inspiration that her story's been and the inspiration even that Rachel Tollefson's story is to us. And use our story in the same way for others. God, all glory, credit to this awesome God that hits bullseyes with all these broken arrows of us people. Keep doing it. We give you credit and glory and praise. And all of you, space said. Churches without the broken are broken churches. I want to encourage you share your brokenness. Maybe in your small group or if you're not in a small group you need to get one we need to build relationship and connection and open and connect with people. You need to open. Let's do that. And if you're dealing with something here and it's big and it's weighty on your heart, you know what? Uh, Why don't you connect into the office this week? Give a call. Talk to any of our pastors. We would love to talk to you. We'd love to be an encouragement to you and pray with you and point you in a direction that That would be maybe that great first faith step to get you moving in the right direction. And lastly, I want to create an edict for Mother's Day. For all mothers in here, the official no dishes on Mother's Day edict. Does that sound good, mothers? Yes. And men, that does not mean you leave them for tomorrow. <laughs> okay. Go home, buy some paper plates on the way home. Maybe that's right. But happy Mother's Day. Hey, God bless your day. We'll see you.